I did not do a list of my favorite whiskeys that I tried in 2022, but if I did, this bottle would have easily been one of the top bottles on that list. What's up, guys? My name is Chris, and you are listening to the Whiskey Noobs Podcast. And today, as I mentioned, we will be reviewing one of my favorite bottles that I tried in 2022. It did not come out in 2022, but I tried it for the first time. And it was easily one of my favorites of the year that I tried. But before we get to that, I do want to have a quick clarification from the last episode. Um, There was a question about allocated bottles or about how do I get good bottles if I can't get allocated bottles. And in my response to that question, I basically used the word allocated synonymously with rare or hard to get or rare allocated. And those are not synonyms. So there are plenty of things that are allocated that are not rare that you can find a lot of places, but it just means that when the liquor store goes to order them, it's not guaranteed they're going to get the amount that they want. It's, you know, it's something that can be hard for a liquor store to get, doesn't necessarily make it rare for the hunters out there trying to get it. So I use those two terms synonymously. I was talking about rare bottles specifically. Just wanted to kind of clear that up in case it wasn't already implied by that question. Now, I will be reviewing Barrel Seagrass in this episode, one of my favorite bottles that I tried in 2022. But I want to use this episode as a whole to talk a little bit about sourced whiskey as well. Because Barrel Seagrass is a sourced whiskey, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But I want to start with sourced whiskey in general. Because... I think there is a growing hate online for sourced whiskey. If not growing, then at least there is a hate there out there online for sourced whiskey. And I think there are some reasons why people feel ripped off by it that I can understand. And there are other reasons that I want to talk about why I think sourced whiskey can be a great thing if done correctly. So as I mentioned, a lot of people write it off basically entirely if a whiskey is sourced and they think of it as they're either being ripped off, they're being swindled, they're being lied to. But sourced whiskey is actually very common in other countries, and I think there are some real benefits to come out of it. So let's talk about pros and cons a little bit. First of all, what is sourced whiskey? If you're listening to this and you're like, what is this guy even talking about? Well, what sourcing whiskey simply means is a brand is selling bottles that they did not themselves distill. So the brand that is selling the bottles is not the brand making the whiskey in the bottles, at least not from the very beginning. They're not the ones mixing together the grains and distilling it. They are sourcing that from somebody else. Now, they could be buying it from other distillers, which also sell their own product. So like a really commonly known one that does this is Bardstown Bourbon Company. They make their own product. They sell Bardstown Bourbon, but they also sell to other companies to do whatever they want with it, rebottle it, and sell it. I shouldn't say rebottle. It's not in a bottle yet. It's sold in barrels, but they can do whatever they want with it and then they can sell it. Now, they could also, rather than buying from a company like that, they could be buying it from just a a giant mass producing supplier. The most commonly known one that you may have heard of is MGP, which is Midwest Grain Product. So MGP is a distiller that makes absurd amounts of distillate and they will sell it to companies who then either blend it or put it directly into a bottle and sell that bottle. 
And so then, of course, you have two different styles of buying whiskey from these two different types of sources. So the two different styles would be you might buy different expressions from different distillers or different recipes, different mash bills, different ages, all from the same distiller, it could be. And then you'll take them, you'll blend them together the way that you want them. You'll create a a flavor profile that you like. Maybe you'll even add finishes to those whiskeys that you bought that you sourced from those other distillers. And then you'll make it your own and put it in a bottle and sell it and then the other end of the spectrum would be you can literally buy barrels from these sources throw them into bottles and sell them and there are companies that do that as well but i want to make clear that there are these two different ways of doing it and of course it's a spectrum there's everybody all the way throughout some people maybe they'll buy a few different mash bills they like blend them together and bottle it some people will go crazy with finishes there, it's a whole spectrum of ways that you can do this. But let's talk a little bit about the the cons, the negatives of it, because this is the part that you might have already heard online and the, the kind of the elephant in the room that some folks do not like about sourced whiskey. The first one, and I can understand the perspective for this, is that it's losing part of the art form. Some distillers tend to be very, very particular about the perfect process. They want to make sure everything down to the last detail is correct. Um, A great example, I just did a tour of the Maker's Mark Distillery, and they talked about the way that they shelled the barley, I believe it was, and they do it this particular way in order to get a better flavor. So that rather than, um, I believe, smashing it with a hammer in order to crush it all up, it actually runs through rolling pins to crush it up, and the idea was was that it gave this barley a different flavor. And something tells me that that attention of detail is not taking place at a distiller like MGP, for example. These are giant distillers putting out more whiskey than most of us can fathom. I don't think they're they're paying that kind of attention to detail or necessarily treating it like that level of an art. Now, that that can be a negative. We're going to get to the positives for those of you like myself who enjoy sourced whiskey. We will get to the positives, but that could be a negative. You, you're kind of cutting out that part of the process for the brand that is selling it, and you might not be getting it back anywhere because the brand that's creating the distillate might not really care that much about the process. So maybe that attention to detail is being lost entirely. I can understand that argument, which I have seen made before. Uh, the other thing is, and this is probably probably the biggest one, is it's easy for some companies to be misleading. There have been lawsuits about this. Some companies will try to make it seem like they're the ones making their distillate. I have seen this before. You've probably seen it before and didn't even know it. Companies that say, you know, this is based on my great-grandpappy's recipe. I I didn't mean to use pappy there, but I'll keep it. This is based on my great-grandpappy's recipe that he made, and, you know, I'm really glad to be able to bring this to you. And they're implying that they're the ones making it. But in reality, they are not. It's being made by some distilling giant or by somebody else. So, of course, yes, being misleading is a negative of source whiskey, but it's not a requirement. You don't have to be misleading to be a source whiskey brand. And many source whiskey brands are not misleading. So that is a negative. It's a negative in general because you can be misleading. But that it could be the case for anything. There are plenty of different marketing techniques that people use to mislead you. But I can understand why some people take offense to that. And I can fully understand feeling duped if you bought a bottle thinking that it was a local distillery making local juice and selling it. And you come to find out that they're just buying it from someplace in Indiana like MGP. 
throwing it into bottles, not even doing anything with it, just throwing it into bottles and selling it, I can understand why you might feel betrayed. But there are also some pros that come from sourced whiskey, and we're going to talk about those. But before we get to it, let's talk barrel seagrass, because that is the review for this episode. And I think this is a good time to focus in on it a little bit. So barrel seagrass is blended from American and Canadian rye whiskeys. Now, the ryes are all finished separately in, I hope I pronounced this right because I didn't look it up, Martinique Rum hopefully that's right, Madeira, and apricot brandy barrels. So you've got Martinique rum barrels, Madeira barrels, and apricot brandy barrels. And they're finished separately in those. They're blended together. And as is the case with all of Barrel Craft Spirits products, these are bottled at barrel proof or cask strength. The proof of mine, let me look on my bottle here, is 119.12 proof. So these are not for the faint of heart. These are very strong whiskeys, um, especially the bottle that I have, 120 proof almost. Um, it's not for the faint of heart, but man, does it drink nicely, which we're going to talk about. By the way, if you didn't just catch that, I'm going into this review very biased. I love barrel seagrass, as you will hear about in this review. So I'm going to give my own quick nose palette finish of this. Oh, and if I didn't think to mention, so it's blended from American and Canadian rye whiskeys, i.e. it is sourced. They source these whiskeys and they uh, do their finishing and blending and that they come up with this expression. Barrel Craft Spirits is well known for the fact that they source their whiskeys, they blend them together into unique expressions, they do a lot of different finishes and different aging for their whiskeys, and then they bottle them. So they are doing it what I would consider the best way, and that is they are taking sourced whiskey and creating an artful expression with it that is absolutely enjoyable if you have a palate similar to mine. So let's do a quick nose palate finish. Fair warning, I burnt my tongue probably an hour and a half ago eating dinner. Um, not an overly spicy dinner, so I thought this is going to be good for my palate. And then I burnt my tongue, so I thought that's not good for my palate. So this might partially be based on memory. I have had this quite a few times, and I'm going to use my memories to uh, try to come up with a nose palate finish along with what is left of my taste buds. So let's do that right now. So on the nose, it's so bright, it's so fruity, it's got a, a lovely light fruit smell to it. Something new this time, and maybe it's because I burnt my tongue, but when I took my first sip of it earlier, I was like, wow. Something new that I noticed was a little bit of like a lemony zest to it that I haven't caught, got before, but it definitely has light fruit to it. Maybe just a little bit of like a, I don't want to say spice in the same sense as like a bourbon, but like a, a nice light spice, almost like a lemon with like cinnamon on it. This lemon is new for me, but that's sort of an idea. And then it's definitely sweet. I don't know the sweetness yet. Let me uh, take one more nose of it. I know it's not going to sound like these things go together, but just trust me on this. It's got a nose kind of like a very, very light butterscotch, like just a light amount with... Like I said, that like lemony zest, definitely more fruitiness than just the lemon. Maybe it's because I know it's apricot brandy barrels that they use, but I always get like an apricot from this. And then um, a little, just a touch of like a cinnamon brown sugary, just like a, a real light touch um, of that. So that's kind of the idea of what I'm getting from this. Let me go ahead with the palate and then we're going to move on to the pros of sourced whiskey. 
Now on the palate, I do think the fruit gets a little bit darker in my opinion. I don't particularly eat a lot of apricots, but it does remind me a little bit of like a plum. Um, I still get that little bit of like light cinnamon spice sugariness. And then it gets a little bit more syrupy and almost like nutty for me. It reminds me a little bit on the palate of like a more complex Angel's Envy. It's almost like it's got just a little bit of Angel's Envy in it and then the rest is this kind of brighter kind of more fruity I'm, I'm really getting lemon zest today I don't know what that's about but it's got this lemony taste and smell to it for me but um it has a little bit more of that angel's envy type nuttiness slash depth and and plumminess that I'm getting from it so overall um just a super enjoyable palette. I'm not going to get too in-depth into it. We are going to talk about the notes that they say you should get, um, mainly because I burnt my tongue and I can't go crazy with this palette because uh, every sip burns a little bit more on my tongue and I'm definitely not tasting as much as I normally do. But that's almost a good thing. The The real flavor notes that I'm getting from it are really having to shine through because I'm not getting so much from it right now. Uh, and so I would say definitely that plumminess, that syrupy sweetness, and I think what really makes this a balanced palate is you have that dryness of the rye that you get from rye whiskeys a lot of the time. It is not overwhelming like it is with a lot of dry whiskeys. That that finishing really brings it down to a more manageable level, but the dryness helps to balance out the sweetness. So whereas like with an Angel's Envy, it might almost start to feel like it's too sweet. It might kind of be like, okay, I need a breath of air. This has that breath of air in it, and I don't want to compare it too much to Angel's Envy. I, that was just I just noticed that on the palate it gave me a little bit like one of the notes of the palate reminds me of Angel's Envy, but my point is whereas with some finishes you really get bogged down by it just can be so overwhelmingly sweet this the rye really pops through and helps make it a little bit more refreshing and then of course being at barrel strength you also aren't watered down so much so it really doesn't overwhelm your palate with just the sweetness of the finishes it has a really nice balance to it and that's what i enjoy about it so much now, I can't speak much to the finish of it because right now I can feel exactly where my dinner burnt my tongue and it is lighting it up like a Christmas tree. So I can't speak much to it from what I'm experiencing right now. I can say from past experience, I always thought it had such a great finish considering it's 120 proof. Of course, it's going to be a little bit fumey in your mouth. Of course, it's going to burn a little bit. It is 120 proof. But for the proof, I have always considered it super smooth and that's one of the things I like so much about it. That and the fact that you're getting this super sweet finished palette that's balanced out by the dryness and spiciness of the rye. I love that about it. All right, so that is my nose palette finish, my impression of Barrel Seagrass. I could go on all day about it probably, but we will get to the notes that they say you should get. First, I want to talk about a couple of pros uh, or benefits of sourced whiskey. These are fully in my opinion. This is totally just my personal opinion, as were the cons. These are the things that I see and I see people complain about and I see people talk about, and this is just my take on it. So some of the benefits, I think, the first is that you can take blending to a whole new level. If you are just using the, the whiskey that you make, unless you have a hundred stills and you're putting out one barrel of each type of mash bill, you don't have access to the level of variety of mash bills that you do with sourcing. 
you could say, okay, well, maybe I'll make my own distillate and then I will buy a little bit from the guy next door and mix those together, but then you're still sourcing from somebody else. So that's my point is if you're going 100% with just your own distillery, it's going to be really hard unless you've got a ton of money to invest up front, which is another point that I'll get to. It is going to be very hard to have the level of variety that you have with sourcing. Your options are nearly limitless with sourcing. You can go, you don't just have to think, oh, well, maybe MGP offers X amount of mash bills. You've also got a ton of other distillers offering their own mash bills that you could source from. And so, the the blending really gets taken to a whole new level. I think with that, you see a lot of the finishing get taken to a whole new level. Um, but that's not necessarily that's not necessary, and it also could be done with your own distillate. But the blending of different distillates is very much taken to a new level, and this is where I think you can gain back some of that artistry we talked about in the cons section, we said, you know, you lose some of the artistry, you lose some of the attention to detail. If you're not making the distillate, you gain some of that back here because you can focus so much on blending and blending is even a little bit, in my opinion, a little bit more controlled in that if, if you're a master blender, if you really know what you're doing, you are tasting exactly what it is that you want to sell to people. If you are working on a recipe for distilling, then you are like, well, let's add this into the recipe and see what happens six months from now, six years from now, depending on how long you're aging it, etc. With blending, you're saying I have A, B, and C. If I do this much A, this much B, this much C, it tastes like D, and I can sell that to the, to the public. And so you're almost getting a little bit more control over it and really getting to where you can fine-tune those flavor notes. And you really see some people take this to that level. I think you see a lot with barrel. I should add in here, because I just keep mentioning it, how much I like seagrass. I'm not sponsored by barrel by any means. Um, I... Don't have. I'm not being paid to say this. I just really, really like Barrel Seagrass. If they want to sponsor me, hey Barrel, if you want to sponsor me, shoot me a message. I would love to because I love your products. But, but at any rate, I'm not sponsored by them. I'm not being paid to say this. They didn't even give me this bottle for free. They've given me some stuff for free, but this bottle I bought at the store, uh, and I just absolutely love it. So, just wanted to make sure that was clear to everybody. So we've got that you get a little bit of the artistry back in the blending of it. And I, I think a lot of people do tend to forget that, that you're not just, and some people, and the, the reason for this is that some brands do buy a barrel, bottle it and sell it. But you've got a lot of brands that are not just doing that. They are really taking it to a different level with their ability to blend all these unique expressions. And now the next pro that I want to mention, and this is a really big one. I talked about this a little bit in my interview with uh, Chris Fredrickson from Traverse City Whiskey Company, and that is it lowers the barrier to entry in the distilling game or in the whiskey blending and selling game. You know, the barrier to entry, if you can't source whiskey, is really, really high. You have to have enough money to buy a distillery with operating functional stills, which is not cheap at all. And then you have to be able to say, we're not going to make any money on our whiskey for, if you're making a straight bourbon, let's say, for two years. We're not going to make a dime off our whiskey. Maybe we'll run some stills and make some clear product like vodka or gin or something and sell that to keep this place, to keep the lights on. But we're not going to make any money from our whiskey. We're going to pile up inventory and let it set for two years. So that 
in and of itself is a huge, huge barrier to entry. And so you might say, well, what? why do I care if the barrier to entry is hard to get into? Well, look around you right now. I mean, we're going through a period where whiskey is exploding and we're getting so many cool new expressions. Barrel just came basically out of nowhere and blindsided people. You've got Penelope. They sourced some of their stuff and they just came out of nowhere and are fantastic. You've got all these brands that are coming out of the woodwork because they have this lower barrier barrier to entry. And I don't know why I can't say barrier today. This lower barrier to entry, and they are able to do that because they can source their product. So are some people going to abuse it? Are some people going to buy 100 barrels from MGP of the same stuff, blend it all together, and just sell it and say that it's their own stuff? Absolutely, you're going to have some of that. But some companies are taking it to a different level and are really keeping the art in it. And I really appreciate that. And I think it is absolutely a good thing. I think the same thing about sourced whiskey as I think about any other type of misleading marketing. If you're being honest, it has its merits. If you're not being honest, then that's what makes it look bad. And that's what makes it stink is when people are being dishonest, or at least trying to look dishonest. And then, of course, something that isn't even really a pro but just is important to keep in mind is, as I mentioned in the beginning, other countries do this like crazy. I mean, in Ireland and in Scotland, you've got a ton ton of sourced products that are just blended together. You have that with Japanese whiskey as well. And you have these folks who have risen to the top of the sourcing industry in those countries and are master blenders. They're very good at tasting this, tasting that, and tasting the other and putting them all together and making something that tastes fantastic. So this isn't something that's new to the world. It's just something that's newer to the bourbon world and to the American whiskey world and especially gets a bad rep because of people who are dishonest about it early on trying to make it sound like it's some local juice from some age-old local recipe is absolutely some it's it's a reason for you to think you got duped i can fully understand that but there are a lot of good things to come from it like this barrel seagrass that i'm drinking right here and as a matter of fact let's get to the flavor notes of that barrel seagrass so barrel lists the notes online for if you're drinking it neat and for the nose it says high concentrations of bright fruity esters lend a perfume like character to the aroma i totally agree with basically everything in that first sentence i've mentioned this before i'll mention it again don't always trust the notes that distillers give you a lot of times they dress their stuff up to make it sound a little bit better than it is I don't want to give anybody the impression that you should always be like, oh, I got to be able to taste what the distiller says. Sometimes distillers maybe don't lie, but maybe it doesn't fit your palate by any means. But I agree with that whole first sentence. Moving on to the second sentence of the nose, we've got honeydew melon and plum sit alongside a slice of ripe apricot resting out in the sun. Underlying rye is revealed by a sea-like salinity, tarragon, and elderflower. Now, I'm not even going to pretend to know what tarragon and elderflower taste like or smell like, so I can't speak to that. I can absolutely speak to the fruitiness of it in general. I mentioned plum on the palate. I could see it in the nose as well, but I still I still stand by the fact that I get a little bit of like a lemon in, in the nose, at least right now. I haven't before, um, so I might throw that in there. And then salinity, I think, is really a, a good one that I didn't even think of. A little bit of like a saltiness to it, especially, I think, on the palate, but my tongue is burnt right now. Maybe that's making it seem a little salty, but I could see that as well. 
and just once again, overall, they mentioned honeydew, they mentioned plum, they mentioned apricot. The moral of the story here is fruity. I mean, it's if you aren't sure how a whiskey can taste fruity, this is the whiskey to try. And then I love that they mentioned there's a, that underlying rye that brings these new elements. Once again, I don't know what tarragon and elderflower taste like, but I like to think of it as it's a little bit, elderflower, I guess, probably floral. It's a little bit of this dryness, this floral, a little bit of spice in there, for my, in my opinion. Maybe that's what tarragon smells like. I have no idea. <laughs> um, and it, it really helps to balance out that fruitiness. Now, on the palate, we have sweet and juicy. Seagrass opens on pear, lychee, and white grapefruit. I have not the first idea what lychee is, but white grapefruit, super accurate. I would say that's the lemon, the thing that I'm calling lemon. Absolutely. Classic rye flavors of cinnamon, rosemary, fennel seed, and rosehip aren't far behind. As I mentioned, cinnamon definitely in there. I like the rosemary. Uh, there's probably a little bit of an herbal note in there that I did not mention. Um, and then rose, yeah, they say rose hip and fennel seed. Um, unctuous, wow, they use vocab words that I'm not used to reading out loud. I'm an engineer. I work more with numbers. This is a little bit tough. <laughs> unctuous texture and sandy tannin are complemented by delicate astringency so common to Canadian whiskeys. I think I would associate that that delicate astringency that's common to Canadian whiskeys as like a little bit of a white sugar in my opinion. But I see it, I mentioned like light butterscotch. It has just a, a touch of like a syrupy butterscotchness to it, which a lot of Canadian whiskeys I think you do describe as syrupy. So maybe that is exactly what they're talking about. Um, once again, as with any distiller's notes, are they dressing these up? Maybe. There's a lot here. Uh, I think I would have to sit down with this for a very long time to pull out all the flavors they mentioned. But in general, the attitude of these notes, once again, fully agree with. And then the finish, they say fresh and clean, but the present tannin and astringency focus the powerful burst of camphor, chalk dust, and scorched earth. That is a wild finish to read out loud. And I honestly can't even really speak to it very much. I can speak to the fresh and clean. I definitely think it has a nice, clean finish. Burns a little bit. Once again, it's cask strength. What are you going to do? Um, and then I'll let you decide on the notes they say there at the end. I don't even know what camphor is. They're using some stuff that's out of my league. Chalk dust is very interesting. Obviously, I know what that is like. Um, and then scorched earth, I think we can all assume what that is like. So that might be their their finished notes might be stretching it a bit far i love you barrel but these these finished notes are a little bit wild and all all together the note description the thing that i like about it and i think i said this about the ardbeg tenure is that it is almost enjoyable to read i mean they're taking this as like a literary art project so i enjoy that part about it but Maybe some of the notes are taking a little bit too far. Let me know what you guys think if you're trying it. Um, if you think some of these notes that I'm not getting, you're getting, that'd be very interesting, especially with my burnt taste buds. But the thing that I'll say, I've had some distillers totally miss the mark on their notes or totally dress it up and make it sound better than it actually is. I think at least for the general mood of their notes, they hit it right on the head. You've got this nice, bright fruitiness. As I mentioned, it gets balanced out by this rye 
dry spiciness that it's not it doesn't make the whole whiskey dry i want to be clear but the dryness helps balance out the overwhelming sweetness of the finishes you've got this fire and ice coming together which i think is what i like so much about barrel seagrass it's got such a great balance you know we talked about in the green spot episode not having a lot of balance and i tried green spot again very recently to just give another chance and see what i thought about it and i i felt the same way I think it has a really great flavor if you like those notes, but it goes all the way the direction of those pale notes. This has such a cool balance to it between that incredibly sweet finish note that a lot of finished whiskeys have and that rye dryness that rye gives you. I really enjoy that about it, and I think that is reflected in the notes that they give you. So that is my take on the notes that barrel gives you for barrel seagrass as i've mentioned a bunch of times in this episode i very much enjoy it i am incredibly biased but i was looking forward to this episode basically all day because i knew that i was going to be drinking a glass of seagrass and i love it so i can't say enough good things about it i think if you're able to drink cask strength stuff and you like those bright fruity flavors you like a little bit of that rye spiciness and your curiosity is piqued by what i've said i don't think you can go wrong with barrel seagrass i believe it's like 75 or 85 dollars it's definitely a higher caliber whiskey and that's a lot of money especially if you're used to bourbons but it it's on that higher caliber in my opinion so I'll stop gushing about seagrass. Let's wrap up some thoughts about source whiskey. As I mentioned, you lose some of the artistry in the fact that you're not distilling it. You could be dishonest, but you gain some artistry in the variety that you are able to blend with. And if you're being honest, I think that really helps out with the artistry of blending and also helps out with the lower barrier to entry for new people to come into the business and be able to do new things with it. So that's my overall take on source whiskey. I personally think that when it is done correctly, source whiskey can be awesome as seen with this review of Barrel Seagrass here. But let me know what you guys think. Let me know if you've been duped. And of course, let me know what you think about the Barrel Seagrass if you are on the email list and you gave it a try. That's all that I've got for this episode. I'm going to go enjoy the rest of this glass of Barrel Seagrass with my burnt tongue and hope that it stops hurting so much. I will leave you guys with learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review to help grow the show and get the word out. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs and on TikTok at whiskey noobs podcast. If you want to drink right along with me, make sure to join the email list by sending an email to whiskey noobs podcast at gmail.com with a subject line saying email list. You will receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time and drink right along with the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode. The Whiskey Noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.